and welcome to the BIP 100 podcast, our BIP chat, BIP standing for Business is Personal. And I look forward to spending the next 45 minutes in the company of Colin McGregor-Patterson and Thomas Power. Thomas and I run this uh, podcast together. So let me first of all explain a little bit about BIP. BIP stands for Business is Personal, as I said. And basically, let's now create a culture around us where business can be personal. It's the juxtaposition when somebody said to me once, Penny, I don't have to like you. It's not personal. It's just business. And it took me back to the days of watching Taken with Liam Neeson, where the man who kidnapped his daughter said the same thing. And he actually shot him in the head. But I don't shoot people in the head when they don't act very personal. But certainly Thomas and I like to surround ourselves with people who are very real, who feel very personally passionate about what they do. And as a result of that, we invite the really great ones into BIP100, which is our very special community that we run. And I use the word community, not network. Very different experience. You get a sense of belonging to a community, whereas you tend to use a network. Network tends to make us all feel very sort of transactional, like we're going into hunt. Whereas a community is about contribution and being around people that notice you and make you feel significant and are interested in helping you to be the best that you can be. And that's BIP100. And why we do these podcasts is we want to bring great people to you. One of the hardest things to do, I think, in business, apart from trying to find the right clients, is finding great suppliers. And we spend a lot of our time actually focusing a business on our clients. Um, but what about people who can serve your business and serve you individually and make you feel um, really supported and loved and cared for and bring their talent and expertise to you? And so this week, we're talking to Colin McGregor Patterson and an amazing gentleman. We're going to be talking very from the ground up around mental health. And I know that is a subject that we hear talked about and various different mental health experts come and help you from different angles. But we're really keen to introduce Colin to our, our community of our members and also to our network within LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, etc. Because Colin runs a charity, he's CEO of the Oasis Partnership, which is based in Buckinghamshire and has been running for a number of years um, Colin's been CEO for 15 years of that and it is a company it is a charity that supports primarily around substance abuse and helping mental health of people in and around that community and Colin has built an amazing relationship with um, many different funders uh, who uh, see this as a very important way to grow the health and wealth of that county so Colin um, welcome. We are very excited to talk to you about this. I've given a little bit of a synopsis about the Oasis Partnership. Would you like to just ex expound on that a little bit more? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> thank you for that kind of nice introduction. Uh, so, yeah, so basically Oasis, firstly, it, it stands for actually the Open Access Social Inclusion Support. Um, not many oh, people that's good but but it is a sort of we are an open access social inclusion support service um but in a, in a nutshell uh, we've been classically kind of um providing substance misuse services up until well uh, we we do still at the moment we we subcontract to um an nhs um partner um but in uh, the the reason for sort of engaging with um a, a, a bit the bit family was really around um, obviously, small charities are struggling uh, at the moment, and in about 2019, 
we realized that kind of just relying on one core contract was quite risky for us as a charity. Um, so we, we looked at changing our um, charity objects and um, really we wanted to sort of provide more early intervention than prevention. I mean, I've been working with substance misusers for, for 25 years um, and kind of the stories are very much the same. There's a lot of issues for, you know, people come to our services with, with very similar issues in relation to why they started using drugs or alcohol. Um, so our kind of uh, change of charity objects was really to sort of focus a bit more on the early intervention and prevention side of things. Um, and now obviously uh, funding wise, you know, most of the funding is is, is spent on treatment because that's where the funding's needed. So um, to do early intervention prevention things, we're doing a lot of fundraising. Um, and, you know, in the past we, we fundraised we used to fundraise about 250,000 a year. Um, and then obviously COVID hit and a lot of the trusts and foundations were supporting COVID recovery and the, the impact of COVID on, on a range of kind of issues. Um, so we really thought that we needed to, we, we actually needed to generate an income and, and kind of start a business to, to actually be able to afford some of that earlier intervention and prevention support. Um, and kind of by default, that really is around young people's services. Um, there isn't a lot of funding out there, core funding for young people's services. Um, and many people who have a drug or alcohol addiction have experienced some sort of trauma in their, in their life. Um, there's a, a, an academic, Gabriel Mate, who is a, a, a sort of world-renowned sort of spokesperson that he's, he sort of says probably about 100% of people who have an addiction problem um, are likely to have had some sort of trauma and that sort of abuse, um, you know, witnessing domestic violence, um, you know, sex abuse, child abuse, a whole range of kind of mental health issues. Um, so kind of uh, to be able to provide services um, at an earlier stage, like I said, we need to generate an income. Um, so we've been working with Bucks, Bucks New University on a, a project called the Knowledge Transfer Project. Um, it's a it's a government funded project led by Innovate UK. Um, and we've been we've got a couple of business models that um, we've piloted before to try and generate income. And now we've got this knowledge transfer partnership um, with Bucks New Uni. It means that we'll have a an academic working with us uh, and a team working with uh, my management team for, for, for two years to help us develop these two little business models, which was really why I kind of was looking out there to sort of become uh, more of a uh, kind of find out more about business. Because as much as we say charities are run like businesses, the actual the way we work, the way we, and I'm realising more by being a member of BIP, uh, charities are very much like businesses but actually it's a very different way of being when you're in business yeah yeah I get that well you're not actually your clients tend to come to you when you're a charity challenges or get brought to you whereas when you're looking in business you need to reach out and build those relationships for them to then um, so it sort of it switches where the energy has to go um, where you're actually having to be proactive to bring businesses in. But I think the interesting thing for me about this subject, and I think it's very interesting as a charity that you've really niched into this substance abuse challenge, because something that has always shocked me since um, I suppose our firstborn went to, had a graduate job in the city, that's when I started to understand and hear about the way that cocaine 
in London and in the city is so prevalent to the point where it's unusual for young people not to be doing it. And even bosses taking new graduates out to the bar, you know, when they join and giving them some cocaine as if they're being kind and being a fun boss. And I can't imagine the impact that's having on the productivity and the well-being of staff. Well, I think the sort of intention is around kind of productivity, increasing productivity, increasing confidence, um, you know, particularly um, around, you know, sales and kind of that whole kind of high level kind of competitive environment. Um, And it it is often kind of, you know, particularly with cocaine, um, people do start using it kind of just you know recreationally like that and then gradually it does become a bit of a problem and it does become um an an issue uh and that's that's why we wanted to kind of develop this business to to support organizations going going in under Mm. health and well-being umbrella to what's the what's the scale of the problem colin Mm. how what's the sort of percentage of People are within businesses or generally who are... I don't think that's ever been captured. I've never seen a stat on is it, that. Yeah, is, it, is it 10% of companies, 50% of companies? Is there? To be fair, it's, there, there is, it's very difficult to put any kind of particular yeah. number against it, apart from the fact that um, there was a recent uh, ish, uh, police conversation that I had where there's 52 million, I think the number's 52 million worth of cocaine uh, dealt or sold each week. Um, so that kind of gives a bit of an indication of how much... 52 million pounds worth. Yeah, yeah. It was either a week or a month, and I do apologise, I don't know whether it was a week or a month, but at the I end... I can of imagine the- that's just in London, isn't it? I mean, it's 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 nationwide, um, you know. There's- so what, so what, um, so these, the people that come to Waste Partnership and the people that you will also be able to help through the companies that come and help you to do some of this prevention and this education in them, when people are dependent on a substance, whether it's alcohol, cocaine, glue, whatever it is that they are becoming, what's happening to them in their lives? Are their lives just completely getting destroyed by it? Well, I think uh, generally when people come to, I mean, the majority of our clients are um, have been dependent on heroin users and they, they come to us for treatment in relation to methadone or other sort of um, opiate substitute prescribing. Um, and that, that's often because, um, you know, they've, they've either been involved in the criminal justice system or they're just, you know, they've broken all their family ties. They, they kind of really need to, I mean, heroin and cocaine are very, very addictive kind of substances. Um, so it kind of just takes over their lives. So many people come to us um, to try and get the, the, the medical intervention as well as the psychosocial support, which is around uh, you know, group work, uh, key working, uh, one-to-one kind of support, um, and and kind of to just try and sort of change their lives to get back on track, kind of thing. There's also, I mean, there's there's alcohol is obviously a big problem, um, and we, we we sort of work with people who have got high level um, alcohol use uh, that are quite dependent on, on alcohol, and that's mainly around the capacity. Um, I think about probably about seventy percent of our clients are. Um, have been addicted to heroin and are now on, uh, you know, opiate substitute prescribing. Um, and there's probably a lot of people out in the community who are, who aren't in treatment, who aren't necessarily getting the support they need, particularly around alcohol uh, misuse. And that's really just because the, 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 the sort of demographics, the fact that alcohol is sort of more um, out there in the community, it's more normalised, um, whereas sort of 
as heroin use is more around well I mean heroin if you think you know an opiate's a painkiller and often many many of the people who are in treatment have had some sort of trauma or issues with their with their life when they were young um and kind of it's just a way of kind of covering up um you right. know the pain blocking the pain and do they self-refer to you or does it come through a GP or how do people come to you it's 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 a, it's a combination I mean people can self-refer um GP can refer um, other professionals can refer um, family members often refer it really has to come from the individual though the individual really needs to want to make make a change and make a difference but it is a very difficult substance to 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 get off um you know mm. it's a, uh, but there is we have so many successes you know i think the treatment system is is very good um the the outcomes are good um but but it's it, it really is around the individual um so it's around supporting the individual but the individual really has to make some substantial changes to their to their life if they want to reduce their addiction um and often that's really around looking at social and economic sort of uh, issues you know trying to get employment um as well as trying to address some of the issues that they're actually um you know they're using substance substances for which may be through um, you know domestic violence or peer pressure or just uh, you know homelessness and kind of living on the street i mean we we run a bit of a we're part of a rough sleepers initiative homeless project not every homeless person um starts off using drugs and alcohol but if you're living on the street sometimes you know i've seen people who, who do start using substances just because of the desperation of actually living on the streets there is a lot of support out there um and there's a lot of particularly after covid you know a lot of all the homeless people were put into into accommodation but in buckinghamshire we're, we're, we've kind of got the issue that it's it's quite an expensive place to live um and there are some real pockets of deprivation um some real areas of deprivation that nobody really thinks of nobody understands because they all sort of think you know wealthy Buckinghamshire and and it's a beautiful county but there are some real areas of, of deprivation and they're kind of um that's where sort of often it's, it's you know the classic sort of low education you know criminal activity um you know poverty uh, lack of education lack of skills lack of hope kind of thing um but there are some solutions uh, and and kind of leveling up is a uh, an opportunity to to engage with people in a different way unfortunately Buckinghamshire doesn't actually get any leveling up money but we're, what we're doing is collaborating with all different partners to try and focus on some of the areas that um that do have some of these problems um to try and then make a difference and you've got a team of 42 so it's a substantial charity here uh, are these people that are trained in social working and in what, what sort of skills do they have there's, there's a whole cross-section of skills I mean one of the one of the difficulties we have actually is is um we we have quite quite a few vacancies um it's a it's it's a very quite high level uh you know quite a stressful job um and because we've got vacancies the staff we do have uh you know have quite high caseloads uh because we actually we subcontract to the NHS so um the NHS lead the project they do they do you know run a fantastic service and um, our staff are kind of working as part of a team so you might come to the drug and alcohol service and you wouldn't necessarily know who is an NHS member of staff and who is a, an Oasis member of staff um, but the the kind of we, we have different levels so we've got kind of community connectors support workers we have some outreach workers they tend to be kind of the the, the newer into the field and then you kind of you get the training and the support and then you become a, a kind of recovery worker 
Um, and then that's dealing with a, a caseload of sort of 40, 40 to 50 different individuals. Wow. And, then and how have, many people are you treating in the typical year, Colin? How many people are you supporting? I think on average, there's probably about any one time, there's about um, maybe about 1,800 people in treatment. Oh, because my goodness. I mean, wow. There's there's a because at any one time there's that many on the caseload sort of um, sort of it, it kind of varies because obviously we try and get people off 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 the caseload but there's always more people coming through with, with issues um, and and basically because it's I mean recruitment nationally in relation to substance misuse workers is um, is really difficult and it's quite problematic um, and that's really based on just a whole range of there's a lot of other opportunities out there for people. Um, we don't, we, you know, we pay a good salary, um, but it's just, it's just, there's a national shortage of workers in the NHS. You know, there's thousands of workers that are. What type of workers are you talking about? So we've, we've got a whole range of workers. So, so there's from support workers to recovery workers, which are really sort of people who are a bit more experienced around drug and alcohol support. Uh, there's some, the NHS employee, the, the, the nurses, the, the prescribers, um, there's a whole range of managers, I think there's about seven or eight different managers, all having different responsibilities. There's like a criminal justice lead, um, there's sort of a, a communities lead. Um, so they've all got different skills and, um, and and there's a lot of kind of collaboration. Everyone works together, everyone really supports each other because, you know, we are dealing with some quite quite difficult people who have got a range of a range of issues it's not really just the substance misuse that's just possibly one of the issues they may have family issues they may have uh, violence and aggression issues housing issues um, poverty issues there's there's a whole combination of um, issues that tend to come come up and it's not like you can just sort of see one person for 40 minutes or an hour and that's it you know there's there's referrals to be made there's collaboration with other partners social services um, we do have social workers in the team. Um, uh, there's some uh, therapists. We have counsellors. We run a counselling part of the counselling service. So we use volunteer counsellors who are in their fourth year of, of counselling. Um, so they're quite experienced, but um, they kind of work with us to to get their client hours. So there's a kind of real cross section. Staff are you know brilliant. I mean, you have to really be quite passionate to work with with our client group um, because they are a different, difficult client group. But I think it's a, uh, it is a, it's, it, it is a career choice. Um, and what we, we, we do a lot of the kind of recovery focused stuff as well. So the sort of run, uh, sorry, the wraparound kind of services. So we focus on some sort of employment, the kind of getting people out and about uh, doing arts and craft, um, group work, just other things that go alongside trying you know the, the recovery treatment which is which is kind of beneficial what you don't want to you know you can't just do treatment in isolation you kind of really need to build that person's confidence and skills up so you know ideally the the, the long-term aim is that try and get most people in employment so they're you know living a, a fulfilling life without kind of reliant on on benefits or anything like that but mm. there are many people that we work with that 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 may not be able to work because of mental health issues or disabilities or other sort of issues that um, that they've started using drugs for. So it's um, and those eighteen hundred are they near? Are they nearby your centre or are they across the whole county? They're across the whole county. Um, so they're not. They're not in they're, one certain place. They're, they're, to be there, there are areas um, which are the kind of general social economic uh, areas of deprivation where. Um, there may be some sort of more service users uh, from, 
but the they're, they're kind of across the board and and you get people from all, all kind of demographics you know you get sort of wealthy individuals who are in employment working um you may have drug and alcohol problems like you said you know people working in the city or london uh, you know using cocaine um it's it there's a whole it's sort of a whole range of problems really. how would they know that you were there how would they is it the gp would say to them i think they... often people get to kind of a, a People often get to rock bottom when they when they when they um, they they come into treatment. Um, you know, they, a lot of people are kind of they may be drinking a lot, and their families are telling them to go and get treatment, and they they may potentially be at risk of losing their jobs because of what they you know what they're using um, substance wise. So kind of there's a there's a whole range of different reasons on why people would come into treatment, um, and we do tend to uh, often, like I said, it's, it's through criminal justice. Um, but we do have droppings. There's a open access dropping, so people may be worried about their drug and alcohol treatment, their drug and alcohol misuse. So they'll come and either come to the drop in, or they'll they'll come and have a telephone assessment and see whether or not there's there's options to uh, that, that they may sort of want to engage with to to get the treatment. It, it's kind of it's 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 quite it's, it's sort of complex, but um, mainly because of the way the the nature of how the nature of addiction really, and you know there's. We we deal with drug and alcohol misuses, but addictions kind of sex addiction, food addiction. You know, there's a whole range of addictions that, and, and some are supported and, and and some aren't. And over the fifteen years that you've been the CEO, have you noticed things getting worse, or is it, uh, you know, because obviously the mental health is becoming a very common conversation now, thankfully. But have you seen it getting worse over these fifteen years? I think. I mean, I've seen. I've seen I've seen a range of different issues, whether it's getting worse or whether it's just more evident. Um, I think mental health issues are far more. I mean, we've, we've had COVID and the impact of COVID. You know, we, we're, we're just sort of experiencing the impact of COVID in loneliness, isolation, increase in alcohol use, people working differently. Um, so have things got worse? I mean, in the past, up until 2016, uh, there was something called legal highs, new psychoactive substances, which were a big problem in relation to the synthetic drugs that people could buy in the streets. Uh, and, you know, you could buy in a, in a local garage kind of thing. You're that's, talking MDMA, these pills? And no, that's kind of synth- MDMA, that's sort of ecstasy. That's been around for, for a long, long time, kind of party recreational drugs. Um, but but that that is the sort of the spice. I think the, well they call it spice. It's just a name they use. But that's synthetic cannabis. Um, there's a lot of a, a lot of a lot of use now uh, around spice within particular uh, communities. But up until 2016, before the new Psychoactive Substance Act, there were um, these synthetic drugs that you could buy in shops and things. So we were quite proactive in supporting a, a, an organisation. In, in fact, actually, you know, it's often charities don't achieve their objectives you know when you're working in charity you're always going to, you're never really going to achieve your objective because there's more clients mm-hmm. coming through the door but there was an organization that I was supporting called the Angelus Foundation and it was set up by a, a woman whose daughter um, uh, was a, a trainee doctor um, and died of taking some new psychoactive substances legal high um, and she really campaigned and lobbied the government to to try and ban these substances from from the shops and she was successful the new psychoactive substance act came into place um in 2016 she was she was successful there's lots of other people working towards it as well other other drug and alcohol charities but we actually had a um at that time in 2016 we had a or from about 2012 to about 2016 we had a big 
um, a chunk of money from the Thames Valley Police to run a kind of uh, an awareness campaign about the dangers of, of legal highs. So that was something that was something then, um, and that's kind of changed. But what what's kind of more evident now is is buying drugs on the dark web. Um, drugs on the dark web have been available for many many years. Uh, I think there's a net Netflix film, The Silk Road. Um, and it's to do with sort of cryptocurrency, bitcoins, the dark webs, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues on the dark web. Um, and it's kind of, that's kind of a bit more prevalent now. I think drugs are more, definitely far more cannabis. To be fair, young, young people, drugs aren't as much of a problem with younger people as perhaps they have been in the past. But younger people have got a lot of other issues, um, mental health issues, texting, sexting, there's a whole range of issues in relation to the digital world that we live in. Um, so I think things things have kind of changed. I think there's also um, there's there's certain populations where substance misuse isn't isn't really discussed in in black minority black Asian minority ethnic communities. Um, some of those uh, communities have got some problems with substances, but it's it's a it's a kind of hidden problem. Um, yeah, put under the carpet. I mean, and do you find parents are aware enough? Do you do you ever get parents coming in and saying? I need help with my child. Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's a there's a there's a good youth organisation um, in one by Cranston in Buckinghamshire, and they kind of deal with up to eighteen year olds. Um, but but the kind of the difference is you've got sort of four million spent on on adult treatment, and only about four hundred thousand spent on on young people kind of treatment. Yeah. But really, young people aren't necessarily addicted. It takes quite a while to become addicted. Um, I mean, alcohol. The, the sort of average age for alcohol to, for people to come into treatment generally is, is quite um, older, where you get a sort of younger age range of people who are really experiencing the problems with um, you know, heroin and, and cocaine use. But it's kind of, it's everywhere, festivals, you know, drugs are just, I, I mean, I've been going to festivals for a long, long time. People just are openly, you know, snorting cocaine at festivals now. Whereas I know, it's almost like the police have sort of given up on it. I think it's, it's I can't believe it. how accessible it all is. They don't have the resources anymore, yeah. do they? they? They don't. It's 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 they don't have the resources. They also have sort of you know high levels of vacancies as well. Um, and, and, I think, and I imagine this these he's getting into a different subject, but these big networks of drug dealers must be quite frightening. And I imagine they can infiltrate the police and put the terror into police. I think, I think so. I mean, there was a there was a recent there was a recent issue in in in, in Wickham around a large criminal gang, organised crime, um, you know, millions and millions of pounds sort of in our streets, um, you know, being dealt with in our streets. These this yeah. gang, you know, they were sentenced collectively to 106 years in in prison, but that's just one gang in one yeah. particular town, you know, and it's because the, there's there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of a lot of criminal activity, a lot of um, a lot of things associated with with um, drug dealing. It's a it's a global issue. Um, and so, when you look at eighteen hundred people that you care for in Buckinghamshire, is that is that the tip of the iceberg? Is it? it are there are there tens of thousands of people you you don't have the resources to care for? No, no. I think uh, I think there's alcohol um there's probably not as much support for as many people as needed who need alcohol support i think there's probably only about there's about 85 percent of people who need alcohol support who aren't in treatment but that's really because the focus is on really um you know historically the focus has been on 
heroin addiction and crime um, because there's a lot you know there's a lot of issues related to heroin use you know you need your tolerance builds up you need so much per day so there isn't a kind of massive un, unmet need there is quite an unmet need but it's a bit hidden um, but that's kind of part that's part of why we're looking at developing our business to kind of support those people I mean there's many people who wouldn't go down to the local charity for whatever reason whether it's the NHS or or, or a charity providing drug and alcohol treatment they may be a blue collar worker so you know they may work for the police force or the ambulance or they may they may work for the council or they may have a, a neighbor or a relation who works in the drug service so how are they going to get treatment and support and there are some some you know there's the priory which is very expensive so there's probably quite a lot of unmet need um so what's your business plan then how do you present to a business you go to a, an organization say can you invest some capital in this charity so we can provide resources to your to your employees to your suppliers to how, how does the conversation happen with a with a business providing capital well, I think it's it's around um, it's really around employers, particularly now, you know, more so after COVID, having to to uh, support their employees uh, under the health and wellbeing kind of um, umbrella, and it's around having healthy healthy workforce that can actually, you know, not taking time off and things, um, but they have a bit of a duty of, of care to to support their staff. So our our kind of model is really around going into um, employers and sort of offering a, a range of different sort of uh, products in a roundabout way depending on what they what they need sometimes you might have let's say for example you've got a couple of directors who are using coke but they've got all the knowledge they've got all the experience um you don't want to get rid of some of the you know you don't want to sack people because they're they're productive and they they, they you know you're losing a lot if you if you um if you you know if people aren't working for you anymore so it's around um supporting people but kind of they may want to do it in a more subtle way so for example let's say uh, there's an organization they're trying to they're no drug use uh, so let's say alcohol, alcohol use is a bit of a problem um you know people are having drinking quite a lot of weekends say not coming into work on a monday rather than targeting individuals they may say well let's have a let's, let's run a dry dry january campaign so they're kind of you know we could go in do some training some one-to-one support sort of thing and then um, it's more of a subtle way of kind of. So it's a nudge. It's a nudge-based education program. Yeah, I, and, and I just find it really fascinating because obviously um, we do in, in Bit One Hundred every Tuesday. We have this neuroscience um, session with TJ and talks all about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, and alcohol comes up a lot in those conversations because. It really, you know, exhausts alcohol, affects people's serotonin big time. So depression, anxiety, all of these things that companies are being told to reduce pressure on their staff and be more realistic about staff and everything. But at the same time, if their staff are starting from minus 10 every morning because they're exhausted, they've not slept, their serotonin levels are terrible yeah where you know they've it's there's not a lot a company can do other than educate them in the by working with someone like yourself to to get the kids to realize with all the young not just kids the young people and the senior directs realize the impact it's having on their mental health definitely and on their business and and on the business but you don't you you sometimes don't sort of realize you know it's it's quite habit forming you know there's many people all come home um to just sort of have a half a bottle of wine you know a couple of a couple of beers 
um, and it just kind of becomes a habit. It is, you know, life is quite stressful. It kind of seems more stressful now, yeah. more busy with digital, all sorts of things going on, social media, you know, it's the news. It's all speeded up, hasn't it? It does. Well, feel- it is a form of self-medication after an exhausting day, but it's, I mean, so. Thomas stopped drinking four years ago, four, yeah, four, four, nearly five. Hannah stopped five years ago. TJ and Ross and I've never been much of a drinker and I'm not saying this to be smug at all anybody that's listening here but what is remarkable is how different life feels when you're no longer dependent on a drink Uh, you know it's it it does but I I think I mean we also work with mutual aid groups so we work with a lot of well when I say work with um, you know they're quite independent um, NAAA um, and that's really peer support uh, and peer support's really, really important. Um, and I think there's 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 thousands of people that go to AA groups. Um, we provide. So, for example, we, we run a, a or we provide facilities. So we let some of the, the mutual aid groups hire our rooms. Um, so, you know, I know last Sunday, for example, there's about 40 people in the NA group, um, which is around trying to support each other. In relation to just staying off drugs and and mm-hmm. and that i mean that's really really supportive there's 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 probably thousands of people in aa because it keeps people sober um and it kind of keeps it's a, it, it is a it's, it's a community mm-hmm. um do you work closely with the aa service in buckinghamshire colin yes yeah yeah i i i, I do because i i'm i'm i fully believe in, in recovery and we're really recovery focused um and Fairly recently, we've been uh, we've set up a, a, a monthly cafe evening for, for anyone in recovery, um, and it's kind of anonymous. People can just drop in, uh, but there's the, the two people who who run AA, um, the chair and the co-chair. Um, we've got a very good relationship with, and we really they because we provide sort of employment support, other activities, other recovery focused activities. You know, they're very much trying to support their kind of peers to make sure that everyone's got. Sort of a quality of access to things that will help them stay off alcohol, for example. Um, so we, yeah, we do work with them very closely. And would they be running group sessions every day? There are group sessions every day. Yeah, that you could go to. I mean, they, uh, around the county. There's, there's, you know, probably three or four different group sessions you could go to, and, and many people do. You know, when you, some people just want to go to match once a week. Um, AA doesn't necessarily suit everyone. Um, peer support's quite good for everyone, but. Um, you know, some people do go to a meeting every day and it keeps them sober. They can talk about it. It stops their triggers. Um, it, it's a fantastic model that kind of runs alongside treatments. You know, what, what we sort of say is, you know, we can get people off alcohol, but then, AA, you know, the mutual aid groups can kind of pick, keep people off. Um, or, the, or the kind of recovery network or recovery support available um, keeps people off. And, and, and there's, you know, thousands of people that, you know, I've been in, in Bucks, and I, I, I see so many people now who have been through some Oasis services and, and the NHS services, um, and they've done really well. Uh, we oh, beautiful, uh, you know. I've seen and is people, there an Oasis type service in every county? Every, every county has a, a, a community drug and alcohol service. It's uh, it's 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 funded through public health. Um, it's it's sort of linked to local authority, and there's the, it used to be ring fenced. There used to be a set amount of money that was ring fenced for each county and that was ring fenced for drug and alcohol treatment and that was when it was led by the national treatment agency then obviously with government funding and all issues um drug and alcohol support sort of was was then looked after under public health and depending on what the priority need is in that area um you know some 
there has been a bit of a reduction in 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 spending on alcohol treatment because there's other treatment that's needed um which again is what sorry in the last 15 years at any one time you're helping 1800 people so it's it's tens of thousands of people that you've helped why why have you devoted your life to helping people in this way because it it seems so special what you've um, I think what well, you've chosen to lead a life in in supporting people like this. I think it's. Um, I, I guess. I mean, I I didn't actually um, go to university until I was twenty nine. Um, I had some 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 of my own issues when I was a, a child, um, and I I sort of didn't didn't do very well at school. Um, I'm one of five kids, but I was the uh, one who who was kind of who experienced some sort of abuse from a, a, a local paedophile. Um, so kind of, uh, so I, um, I just kind of, I guess I just kind of, I was in catering to be fair. Um, and I like working with people, um, and catering is, um, you know, it's a fantastic career, but I, I, I found it, well, I traveled the world. That was kind of my addiction in a, in a way for quite a few years. Then you get to a certain age when you think, um, actually I need probably a bit of a, a different career. So I, I went to train as a social worker, uh, when I was 29 and went up to university and, the first, and that led you eventually to Oasis. Well, it, well yes, it sort of. I, I the um, so I went. I went to university, and I wasn't really sure what I, what field I wanted to go into. Um, I, I sort of had, had a bit of experience with substance misuse. I mean, a, a bit of experience with the kind of rave culture. Um, and the first, my first day at university, I just happened to sit next to a guy whose wife was an area manager for a large national charity, running drug and alcohol rehabs. Um, across Manchester so I got a sort of part-time job working in I eventually over three years I worked in about nine different places up in Manchester but I also um, I thought right if I'm going to put myself out there and learn about stuff um, I, I went and volunteered working with sex workers and homeless in Manchester city centre and Bolton city centre and that really gave me a, it was a real kind of um, baptism of fire of, of learning right at the at the core end of um at that front end of kind of addiction um and I, I volunteered there for the first sort of 18 months and then I ended up being a kind of um like a, a shift leader they had a seven and a half ton lorry basically which was a, a mobile clinic um where we'd do needle exchange a doctor would come on board and you know it's amazing really, really, what you've done Colin it's incredible. You're such a contributor to society. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. What I'm really interested in is how we in the BIP community and the people listening here and our connections that we've got on LinkedIn and Facebook, how can we, what is the best way for businesses to support this? A, you know, do, do companies pledge money to you to support? Do you become their charity of choice for a year? Well, I, th- I think, I mean, the way I, I like to say, in the way businesses like, you know, businesses do, they sort of, you know, they'll do charities for year, organisations will do fundraising. Um, drugs and alcohol isn't really the most, um, for want of a better word, most sexy kind of charity and yeah. sort of support. Um, so what we like to, and this is our business opportunity, is to kind of give give something to businesses that they may need, which is about training, it could be right. around health and wellbeing, and then they may sort of, you know, pay us, for um for, for, for that support, knowing that that money then goes back into social good helping disadvantaged people in the absolutely community. i think that sounds a fantastic way of doing it and i think the need is enormous and i think any leader who's not aware of the fact that in their company there are these massive issues affecting 
their staff and creating sickness days and creating depression and anxiety, overwhelm, all of these things that we hear about. And, and particularly, it may not be your employers, but your employees who have the issues. It may be their, their children, their loved ones. Their yeah, children. yeah. Um, it's it's sort of across the board. Um, and, that, you know, it's, it's, it's life, unfortunately. Um, and Is it a difficult subject to bring up with directors of companies? Well, surprisingly, most people I talk to, um, someone knows someone who has had some sort of addiction, a family member, it's kind of quite amazing and, and particularly kind of joining BIP um, you know it's amazing that actually every, a lot of people suffer trauma you know death suicide death of a loved one you know it, it hits everyone and kind of some people oh, yeah. use substances to to block that off some people don't some people do other things to kind of block it off but but I think I think just because we you know we, we specifically work drugs and alcohol it's like kind of just pretty much endemic I think um, across yeah absolutely society amazing amazing conversation i can't believe how fast the time has gone Colin, what is the best way so obviously they can look up the oasis partnership online um and i'm sure there's ways to get in touch but also on linkedin if you're just listening to this rather than watching this let me spell colin's name if you can look him up on linkedin so it's colin c-o-l-i-n i think you know that mcgregor m-c-g-r-e-g-o-r mcgregor patterson with one t yeah, so P-A-T-E-R-S-O-N. Um, so Colin McGregor Patterson with one T. And um, it's been an amazing, enlightening, um, a huge respect to you, Colin, mm. for the work that you do. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, got, uh, you know, I, I lead services, and we, but, but it's the staff. It's the front-ended staff. Who do I know. It. Well, that's lovely you to hear. Have to, you, they still need to be led, Colin. Yeah, you're a great yeah. leader. You're a great leader. And... Um, I really hope that we can, over a course of time, help you bridge this relationship with larger companies, smaller companies, people who who definitely need to open their eyes to the reality of this. And yeah. um, thank you very much, Colin. And have you got any last things you wanted to say, no, Thomas? Before I... Really good, oh, right. so That was absolutely brilliant. And um, as you say, you know, drugs, alcohol is it as sexy a conversation as some of the other conversations that are going on at the moment i know you know tech addiction and all these things being talked about but this is so prevalent in majority of people's households so i think that done a great service to be as open as you've been today and bringing this to us all well hopefully we can make a difference to to many people's lives so thank you thank you thanks colin